Welcome to episode 40 of The Journey is the Reward. The opening music is performed by the Madalizio Youth Choir, and it was recorded when I was in Zambia. I'm Brian Coleman, and I've been a frequent flyer for a large portion of my life. Most of my travels have been on United Airlines as a member of their Mileage Plus program. As a result of traveling around the world, I've flown over 5 million miles, with over 3 million of those miles flown on United. This is our Lifetime Premier 1K status. Along with my co-host Micah, we're continuing the documentation of my flying experiences. Will I get to 4 million? Probably not. However, we will talk about my continued adventures, the passenger experience, and who knows what else. The goal is to document the journey as it is the reward. So let's get started. Hey, Micah. I was just noticing when I started this project, I needed 292,483 miles to reach that 3 million mile goal. Well, in 13 months, I've flown all those miles, and to be exact, I'm at 3,004,145 miles, so I think this show is going to be all about facts, figures, and statistics. You know, I think it should be, because that means that in 13 months, you averaged about 23,000 miles a month. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and boy, are your arms tired. Exactly. Yeah, that's almost how much flying I was doing when I was flying full-time for work. I didn't do that every single month, but I did it a lot of months. And yeah, that's a lot of flying per month. But to do that over the course of a year, yeah, that's a lot of flying. That's a whole lot of flying. And it's also to do that when you're paying for it yourself, that's a whole lot of money. And we're going to go <laughs> over that too. So you know what they say? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. So these will be neither lies nor damn lies. These will just be numbers. We'll see how we go, and I'll try and keep the lying and fibbing and exaggerations to a minimum, that's for sure. Well, no more than <laughs> what we usually do, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we heard from some listeners in the meantime. Who did we hear from? We did. Well, we heard from listener Rick. I think you might know Rick. Rick? I only know one Rick in my life. It happens to be my brother. Well... The letter goes, hey, Brian, I'm Micah's brother, Rick. And I lied. I know two other Ricks. There's Miami Rick, our favorite 747 captain. And then there's Major Rick, who flies C-17s in the Air Force. So I do know three Ricks. <laughs> we know three Ricks, because you know my brother, Rick, too. Yeah, I know all three of them. Anyway, Rick goes on to write, so the question is, was the journey really as rewarding as the title would suggest? Or perhaps, would a better headline have been, the journey's not all it's cracked up to be? Or, <laughs> the journey is a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my brother. <laughs> huh, funny, because it is. I don't know, I guess we'll get into this as the show goes on. But no, I think the journey was everything that it was cracked up to be. Yeah, for me, the journey was definitely the reward. I didn't spend much time on the ground in many places. So yeah, the journey was definitely, that's what I did. I journeyed. It did seem through the whole project that you were having a good time doing all of it, even with the flying. Yeah, there were some frustrations. There were some times that weren't as good as others, but I think that's how it was. There were some times that weren't as good as others. There weren't necessarily any really bad times. Yeah, there really wasn't anything that was that was really bad. Although we could talk a little bit about my most recent flight to Tampa and things there weren't great, but they also weren't terrible. 
like you, I read many of the travel blogs and listen to other travel podcasts. And a lot of times you hear people simply complain about how bad in-flight service is. Certainly on United, I've complained an awful lot before, but I really think they've gotten an awful lot better. Maybe it's because I'm nice to the flight attendants. Maybe it's because I bring a gift. Maybe it's because I have a positive attitude about flying. I don't know. Maybe they pick up on that and they're just nicer to me than they are other people. But I've also looked around to notice how they treat other people. And I just haven't seen it nearly as bad as many of these travel websites make it out to be. Well, it could also be, I was going to say, maybe it's because you just got used to it, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still opinionated. Yeah, no, I don't think I'm used to it. I think I'm still every bit as opinionated. And the flight to Tampa service doesn't really count in this journey as reward because the journey is over. The 3 million miles were accumulated. So we can talk about it and we will, but you yeah. can't count it toward the service during the journey. And speaking of the journey, Rick went on to say something else now, didn't he? Yeah, Rick uh, finishes with a little PS and says, and kudos to Micah for being thoughtful enough to completely avoid the musical sin of Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Absolutely. Both of us, <laughs> we were never into 80s bands, I got to say. Not, not 80s bands like that anyway. So who else did we hear from? Well, we heard from listener Claire. And listener Claire writes, hi, Brian. For a traveler who is about to embark on a trip to a city or cities where he or she has never been before, here's the question. Where do you go to find authentic local color and local restaurants that tourists don't know about? Concierge will give you names, but rarely the heart of the culture. How do you safely find out about these places? And then she continues another question. Based upon your extensive travels, what would you say is the one place everyone should visit before they die? What's your favorite absolute city or country? And what's the worst? I can tell you, Egypt can fall off the face of the earth as far as I'm concerned. Claire. Huh. So I guess Claire had a bad experience in Egypt. <laughs> well, from what I understand, at least the way it used to be, I know that the Nile cruises, which were fascinating and beautiful from, from what I heard, is that Everybody on the Nile on a Nile cruise eventually gets food poisoning at some point or another. So, but that's just a rumor I've heard. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I had a friend of mine who worked for Lockheed and he sold L1011s. He said that he always got sick even flying over Nigeria and he would have to go to Lagos. He said that that was absolutely the worst place for him on the planet to go. And yeah, he got food poisoning every time he was in Lagos, Nigeria. Captain Nick was also not is also not very fond of when he was flying to Lagos or Lagos in Nigeria. Uh, it was a difficult place for him to go, and uh, he, they were he used to say that they were escorted on an armed bus from the airport to the hotel and yeah. told not to leave the hotel. So, yeah, I think that uh, that might be a place. There are certain places in Africa I don't think I would want to go. There are other places in Africa I very much want to see, although these days Sudan is not one of them. Yeah, definitely. So up until these days, I would have loved to have seen Khartoum. Yeah, I've actually heard some decent things about it. There are several cities in Africa that I'd really like to go to or have wanted to go to. I've actually wanted to go to Egypt as well. I want to go to Morocco and see Marrakesh. I think that'd be that'd be great. I really just don't have all that much experience with the African continent and would love to do some exploring there. Senegal is another place I'd like to see. Yeah, sure. 
But as far as worst places, I really don't know if I have a worst place. I don't know, Micah, do you? I once had an interview in Saranac Lake, New York. I was interviewing at some college up there. I can't even remember the name of it. And the college put me up at the Saranac Lake Hotel. That was one of the most awful, horrible places I've ever stayed. <laughs> so bad that I almost, and this was the days before Uber. It was hard to find a cab. It was a small little town. I I, I found that there was a Holiday Inn nearby in another town on, uh, I can't remember the name of the lake where the Olympics were up in New York State at one time. And lake Placid. I almost, Lake Placid, and I almost just got into a taxi and was going to take a taxi ride to Lake Placid and check myself into the Holiday Inn. But I thought that, well, that wouldn't do me very well for the interview when they came to get me the next day. But um, so I didn't. But uh, that was just a horrible experience. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of worst place for me. And I was thinking all international for this. I've been really fortunate. I haven't been to many bad places, so it's hard coming up with the worst list. But since you talk about job interviews, I went on a job interview in Boise, Idaho. Wow. I would never live in Boise, Idaho. We could get into that on another show. But yeah, that was probably the worst place that I've ever been. Now, as far as your absolute favorite city or country. That's a tough call. There are so many places that I really do like. I had a wonderful time in Vancouver and a wonderful time in Calgary in terms of cities itself. Mm -hmm. uh, Banff is a beautiful, beautiful area. But in terms of places I've been back to regularly that I really love, that I think everybody should see at some point or another, is London and the environs. There's so much history there. It's such an easy city to get around in. Right. I found that mostly the people are very friendly. It's an easy place for uh, Americans to go to and get around in. So it's a nice start. And then you can kind of get a feel for what it's like to be in another culture. And then you can move on from there. But I really do like London quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And I think I'm probably going to parrot your thought process there in that I really like Melbourne, although I didn't my very first time there. I really like Hamburg. I hated Hamburg the first time I was there. I, I of course, love Singapore. I wish it wasn't nearly as humid as what it is. I've had a great time in Cape Town, South Africa. Really like my time in Zambia around Victoria Falls. There are so many places that I'd love to go back to and spend time in. But absolute most favorite, sort of like picking your most favorite child or most favorite airplane. It's really kind of hard to say. It's the one that I'm at right now, I believe. Usually that's the way it is for me too. Very hard to pick. But, you know, she asked a really good question in terms of trying to find authentic local flavor in local restaurants and things like that. And it's not a necessarily an easy thing to do, and it takes a little bit. One thing that I found, and I'm sure you have it as well, is after a while, you get a sense of a place. And you can tell when you're in an area that's safe or not safe, even though, you know, some parts of, of the world don't necessarily look as safe as what they might look like in the USA. But when you're traveling in Mexico, for example, or even in New Orleans, there are some safe sections in New Orleans and some unsafe sections of New Orleans, but you kind of get a feel for it. And as you're walking, you can kind of tell whether this isn't an area you want to be in or not. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But in turn, and that just takes travel savvy. It takes some time. But I think about the last time that we found a place together. How did we find that great Indian restaurant in London that we ended up finding? What was the name of it? Um, Akari that was near our hotel. By asking the Uber driver. We asked the Uber driver, what would be a good Indian restaurant? Where do you like to eat? He happened to be Indian, I believe. And, yes. and so he gave us a couple of ideas. We, we mentioned a couple of places we saw, and he said, 
no, nah, it wouldn't be one of my favorites. You know, it's not, it wouldn't be excellent. And it turns out the restaurant that we found happened to be a regular local place that the uh, controllers from the London Heathrow Tower go to regularly. And the service was great. The food was great. And that's what I like to do is ask the local people. If I'm at a restaurant, I'll ask a server, where do you like to eat? I know you like to eat here, but what other places do you like to go to? I'm in London for where I'm here for a week. What would you see? What would you suggest that I see? And ask the regular people, the natives that are working there, not the hospitality experts that are working in the hospitality industry, like in the hotel or at the airport necessarily. Yeah, and I think some of the things that I do, if my seatmate on the plane is from there or has been there, I will ask them for suggestions. I just have the personality where I'll meet people in a bar, believe it or not, and start talking to them. And they usually end up being a local. And therefore, I end up getting some pretty good tips and tricks from them. I've been really fortunate in that most of my travels around the world have been business related. And I'm working with local business partners. So therefore, they have taken a lot of the guesswork out or they're either hosting me or making suggestions of where I should go. I've been very fortunate that way. And a lot of the stress has been taken out of finding these places because other people have done the work for me. And one of the other things that I used to do when I would travel with my mom, we would travel together a lot with my mom and dad. And, and one of the things that my mom and I did was a regular thing is that wherever we traveled, we would find a local Chinatown or we would find the local Chinese restaurant because we both love Chinese food and we wanted to experience it because it varies from place to place to place. And so we went out for Chinese food into Chinatown in Vancouver, in Calgary, in London, in Paris, in Chicago, in mm -hmm. Toronto, in Mexico City, and found all these different kinds of different cultural things that were based on the same thing, places that we never would have found if we wouldn't set up something like that. Yeah, that's interesting doing that. Good tip. I think we have one more question from a listener. Yes, listener Lou wants to know. So let's listen to what she wants to know. Hi, Micah and Brian. As this show, episode 40, is all about facts, figures, and statistics, I'm wondering, what is the most surprising statistic you have compiled? Did you ever think that you would have such a large worldwide audience? And did you ever think you and Micah would be recording your 40th episode? Listener Lou wants to know. So what's your most surprising statistic other than here we are in episode 40? <laughs> yeah, that's certainly a big one. Actually, the quantity of countries that people are listening to, that one has blown me away. I am just shocked over our listenership. I really wish that more of our international listeners would write in or send a voice recording or just interact with us because I know they're out there. I know they're listening. I see the statistics. Yeah, they just seem to be shy. So we need to get them out of their shell and have them interact with us. Well, you know, what's really kind of strange is when I look at the list of countries, and I guess we should probably go over that at some time. I look at some of the countries and I can say, oh, I know him. Oh, I know her. <laughs> Yes, right now we're sitting at 54 countries, which I find really interesting. And the U.S. percentage-wise leads, and that's at 74%. Then we have Australia, Germany, Canada, United Kingdom, and Israel. So I guess my trip over to Israel, we got a, a whole bunch of listeners as a result of me being there. So I, I find that interesting. I don't know. I suppose we could probably name the people listening in Australia, Germany, Canada, the UK, and Israel. If we really had to, we could probably name most of them. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> 
No, we could, but there are others as well. And we certainly have some other countries. I, I really want to run down this list. So it's going to be a little bit of reading here, but I think it's important to give recognition to all these countries because there's Italy, Singapore, Argentina, Belgium, India, Luxembourg, Spain, Japan, Netherlands, South Africa, Colombia, Austria, Brazil, Ukraine, Mexico, Hong Kong, Russia, Iran, Switzerland, Ireland, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, Aruba, Denmark, Malaysia, France, Peru, Albania, New Zealand, the Czech Republic, Pakistan, Indonesia, and Ecuador. And then we also have listeners in Slovakia, Sweden, Zambia, Greece, Hungary, Rwanda, Croatia, Vietnam, Morocco, Qatar, Malta, the Republic of Moldova, Portugal, Bulgaria, Latvia, and Norway. And we can't leave out Romania, Guam, and Egypt. That's just amazing to me that there are all of these countries that are represented. And you're right. I think we know some of the listeners in some of these countries, but there are countries on this list where I know for sure I don't know these people. Oh, absolutely. And, it, and we've managed to probably offend people all over the world now. And we <laughs> and we just hit Egypt today. So, you know, I'm, we apologize to the listener in Egypt. And if we did offend you, by the way, it is I am really offended at yahoo.com. And we haven't gotten any emails to that, have we? I just want to clarify, we did not offend Egypt. It's listener Claire that said that she really doesn't want to go back to Egypt. So it's not us. It's her. I did say something about the Nile cruises that I will take oh. responsibility for. Okay. But at least that's what I've heard. I've never experienced it. Nonetheless, I've just figured out what the new challenge is. This is the new challenge. You hit your 3 million miles. Now you need to fly United and make sure you visit every single country that you haven't been to that's on this list that people have been listening to us from. Ooh, that's a great challenge. Now, United doesn't fly there, but probably through the Star Alliance network, there are many partner airlines that do. And many of these countries, like Latvia, for example, I've wanted to go to. I mentioned before, Morocco, want to go there. See the great apes in Rwanda. Absolutely. We've talked about Vietnam in the past. I know another place yeah, you want to go. I know. I so want to go to Vietnam. Interesting challenge, Micah. I think we need to keep this list and start checking them off. In fact, we should probably do that now. We, we should put that list in alphabetical order and use the strike through and for the one places that you've been. And that way we can have a list of those places you need to hit. Yeah, I'll do that. And we could talk about that on the next show. Right. And then that's when we have to figure out who's listening, because hopefully you'll be able to meet them at some point while you're there. Yeah, we could do a meetup in each of the countries. Even exactly. more fun. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little electronics. It's another one of my favorite topics. In the USA, the iPhone is the number one phone. Everybody has an iPhone. Yeah, there are people with Androids, and both are great phones. What devices are people listening to us on worldwide? Our statistics corroborate how the market share is divided, because certainly, as you said, iPhone's dominant in the U.S. Most of our listeners are here in the U.S., so the listeners listening on iPhones is at 62%. Android is the dominant platform around the world. I believe they have two-thirds market share in Europe. And because we have fewer percent listeners in Europe or around the world, the Android market share is at 23%. And then we also have people that listen to this podcast on their computers because we have 4% of our listeners listening on Macintosh. 
3% listening on Windows systems, and the rest is on the category called Other. And I'm assuming that could be Linux devices or could be a, a Windows mobile phone if anyone still is using that or whatever other listening device just comprises Other. What applications are people listening to us on? We have 54% using the Apple Podcast Player, 13% are using Overcast, 10% Pocket Cast, 6% Spotify, 5% Podcast Addict, which I've actually never heard of before, and then 4% are using a web browser. So that sort of ties in with the people that are using their Mac or Windows system for listening. And then we have the rest in the category called Other. There we go. And we don't have any numbers on other, but there are certainly others. We have, it looks like, and it doesn't really surprise me that mostly men are listening to us. What, what are the numbers there? Yeah, although we've done a really good job of increasing the female base, because I remember in one of the earlier shows, uh, probably around episode 10 or so, we talked about some of the statistics and the male listenership was, I believe, around the 80%. Well, right now, the male listenership's at 68%. And 23% are female. So I'm really happy to see that so many more females are listening to the show. I think that it's really important to get females involved in aviation. And it's a great career for women and happy to see those numbers increase. And then there were 9% that just didn't want to mark that down. Well, And then we do have uh, less than 1% people listening that are non-binary. And listener Lou talked about interesting statistics, and that's certainly an interesting statistic. Yeah. And we also have ages, believe it or not. The 28 to 34 age bracket, which is at 19%, the 35 to 44 is 31%. Here we go with the 45 to 59 is 39%. And then... 61 and over is at 11%. And I also know that we do have a listener that is younger than 28 years old. Ladies and gentlemen and children of all ages. Exactly. Now we have episodes that were favorites as well. Yeah, this was surprising to me. You would think that episode one, two, and three would be the most listened to episode that people would start at the beginning and yeah, they would have more, more numbers, but that's not true. And I guess some people start listening, they'll hear about the podcast and jump in somewhere in the middle. As we've seen over the weeks, the episode listenership for that episode has increased. And I was just surprised. So episode 37 is our most popular one. And I think that was Japan, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, so Japan was the most popular one. I guess a lot of people are still really looking forward to going to Japan, and maybe they just wanted to get some insights into getting to Japan. Are you sure that wasn't Graham Parker and the and the and the song "Discovering Japan"? <laughs> I think I think that's what called everybody to it. That's a great song. Anyway, could be. And then we have episode twenty-three is the next most listened to episode, and then bits and pieces number two, our second bits and pieces episode. That's our third most listened to episode. Now, who was on that Bits and Pieces? I think we had Ryan from Flighty on there. I think we had Scott from Scott's Cheap Flight. And the third guest was Matt, your friend from Singapore. Yeah, th that actually was a good episode for a Bits and Pieces. That was really fun. And then just rounding out the list, there's episode 22, 28, 31. And then here's our favorite. In seventh place is episode one. Now, I also wanted to take a look at the bottom of the list. So what are the least listened to episodes? And that's episode 5.1, episode 6, episode 4, 10, 
And then 16 rounds out that list of the five least most listened to episodes. I just find it interesting how people are not listening to the show in order and the quantity of listeners per episode varies so much. But I also think that it's great that people are listening to past episodes as well. We couldn't have done any of this without our listeners and without all their support. And we really appreciate everybody listening, but there are also some very special listeners that really helped us out. And I think we need to talk about them. Yeah, we do. And these are the people that have contributed to the show, not only through feedback, but through the donations that they've made through Patreon. And we have some per episode contributors on Patreon, and we have some contributors that have done a one-time contribution. And I really need to apologize to the folks that contributed on a one-time basis. I've not been able to figure out through Patreon who those people are. I've gone back through the notes and I've tried to add them to the list, but if I've missed anyone, I apologize. It's not on purpose, but I certainly want to send a special thanks to Hendrick, Philip, Vincent, Sarah, Alan, Stephanie, Claire, and Matt. And I know there are others. And again, I really apologize for not having your name added to this list. All of your contributions have gone to supporting the show, the website hosting fees, the media hosting, the just the software that we need to run the show. And I thank these people so much. And there's something else that those contributions go to support, and that's us. That's us emotionally. It lets us know that we're doing something that people are really enjoying, and it makes us a lot happier to know that people are listening and that what we're doing, which we have a great time doing it, don't get me wrong, (laughs) but it's definitely some work. It lets us know that it's appreciated, and thank you for that because it makes us feel valuable to the community. Yeah, and that's where it doesn't have to be a financial contribution. So, for example, Listener Missy has contributed plus points. I was going to say, they came at just the right time. You were exhausted. You you were going back-to-back flights, and you really needed that upgrade, and Missy came through, and that was just so sweet of her. And She's just a terrific person. I, As our listeners know, I did have the opportunity. She doesn't live that far from me. We had lunch together at uh, Becky's Diner here in Portland, and uh, what a great time speaking with her. Absolutely. Yeah. So Missy, thank you so much for that. I also want to point out the fact that uh, listener Lou has been doing all the social media for us. Uh, Well, certainly all the social media for me. I know, Micah, you do your own social media, but I never would have been able to do any of the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter stuff. And she spends so much time especially on Twitter, posting photos, making comments, replying back to people. She's just, I think, done a a great job on, on that and the social media aspect here as well. We also have to thank two special podcasts that have really helped us out by mentioning us on several occasions. There's uh, APG, the airline pilot guy we've written into. We've been friends with those guys for a long time and, and love those guys. And he's mentioned the show a few times. I think very importantly to us are our, our fellow podcast, The Airplane Geeks, where we both really, mm-hmm. I guess, honed our skills more or less. <laughs> if, I yeah. don't know what, what it exactly means, but they've talked about the show. Both Airplane Geeks and the Airline Pilot Guy are terrific podcasts. Highly recommend you listen to them if you really want to hear something professional um, rather than this drivel. But <laughs> but nonetheless, we got to thank them for all their help. But there's two more people that I think you need to especially thank. Yeah, I really do. And that goes out to my mom and dad for making all of this possible. 
unfortunately, my dad is no longer with us, but he certainly provided the inspiration for me to really be interested in aviation and do what I've done with airplanes and all the flying I've done. And just, yeah, I cannot thank him enough for that. And then also my mom. She made a huge financial contribution to this effort, and I got an advance on my inheritance, and she said that she would rather see me spend it and enjoy it while she's alive than after she passes and not knowing how I squandered the money. Without her, I absolutely would not have been able to do this project, and I thank her immensely for being so kind and generous. And I got to say... I had the opportunity to speak with your mom. We ended up interviewing her, talking to her, spent some time with her. And she is an incredibly sweet and wonderful woman and reminds me in so many ways of my own mom. And it just shows that the similarity between us extends on and on and on. And we keep learning more about ourselves. And one of the things I said to your mom, who continued to say, no, 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 don't call me Mrs. Coleman. Just like you say, don't call me Mr. (laughs) Coleman. And I couldn't stop myself because I was trained by my mom to always show respect. Nonetheless. But I kept, I said the the greatest gift that she has given uh, is the fact that I have you as a friend. And that was just really super. And we were hoping to bring you that interview, but there were some technical glitches and we're. uh, Oh boy, did I screw up on that? Yes. Little foul. But (laughs) but now that uh, your your mom is really great on Zoom, we'll do that again and hopefully uh, get an interview with her sometime soon. And also I want to say if she's listening and I know she does listen. I know you're not feeling well right now, and I hope you recover pretty soon. Oh, let's hope. So let's get back to some statistics. 300,000 miles, 13 months. Where did you go the most? It was really interesting to me that both South Africa and Singapore are tied with the most visited destination at six each. So yeah, six trips to South Africa, six trips to Singapore. But there was a three-way tie. Yeah, I went six times to Tampa. So one way or another, mom got to see me a lot during this adventure. And it sounds like she likes to see you. Yeah, I don't know why, but yeah, she seems to. Wow. 13 months, six times to South Africa, six times to Singapore, six times to Tampa, you know, sometimes. But there's more. You were in Hawaii so many. How many times were you in Hawaii over 13 months? Yeah, I actually went to Hawaii four times, and they were pretty much all back-to-back trips, and I got to see three islands, and Lahui was the first for me. And you got to remember that these trips were determined based on price per mile, and they were just the, the best deal, other than Tampa, which the best deal is getting to see your mom. But <laughs> Yeah, but that's not price per mile. Boy, there's a cost associated with that one. Oops, sorry, sure. mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but the airfare was just so incredibly cheap, I just couldn't pass it up. Now, there were some other countries you went to, and yeah, you sort of flew there. I don't know if you were getting points for them, but there was only one place you went to more than one. Where was that? Went to Zambia twice to see Victoria Falls, and one time when I was up north at Victoria Falls, I flew in and out of Zimbabwe at the new airport in Zimbabwe, so that was that was kind of fun. Yeah, but you were in Zimbabwe twice when it comes right down to it, weren't you? If you count walking across the border, I'd say three or four times I was in Zimbabwe. So Yeah, yeah. so that number needs to go up. It just wasn't places you necessarily flew to. Right, but it's, yeah, the airport is really what I'm referring to. Okay. So where were the singleton trips? Yeah, single trips were to Italy, Japan, Tahiti, and 
oh gosh, wasn't my favorite. It was right up there is Israel. Israel and Tahiti are, uh, they were just two really special places that I'd never been to before and enjoyed both of them immensely. Yeah, but you also did one other thing during this whole thing. <laughs> you did one more trip. You actually made, a, we call this trip, this whole adventure, the longest mileage run in history, which it may or may not be, but you actually did make a mileage run. I did. I was so close at the end of the year. I needed just a little bit more of a revenue bump in order to get some additional plus points. So I did a day trip to Phoenix. I can't remember now what time it was, but flew to Phoenix, was on the ground for a few hours and then flew back. And that got me the revenue bump and for those oh so precious plus points. And yeah, I was able to enjoy some upgrades on an international trip because of that. So we got to remind new listeners that flying someplace, being on the ground for a couple of hours and turning around isn't unusual. You did that in Hawaii. You did that in Singapore. <laughs> you, you've done that yes. in many different places. This was just a few hours, just a, the entire experience was just a few hours. So yeah, that was a little bit different. Now, in order to get to where you were going, get to all these countries, how many airports did you have to go through? A lot. But there were some airports that I merely transited through, and maybe that's what you're referring to. And yep. went to uh, San Francisco definitely the most because United's cut so much international service out of Los Angeles. But in this particular case, it probably helped me because I'd get an extra 500 miles that counts towards million mile status simply from going from Los Angeles to San Francisco. So I did that 20 times. I transited 18 now, times. Wait a minute. You mean you would fly 500 miles and you would fly 500 more just to be the guy <laughs> upon the plane to get 500 miles more? Exactly. That was me. Okay. <laughs> oh, the music madness continues. Well, the next highest airport that I transited through, which kind of makes sense because it's a major hub for United, is Newark. And I transited through Newark 18 times. Wow. That's that's a lot of Jersey. Yeah, that's a lot of Jersey. And only one time having a pork roll sandwich. That doesn't seem fair at all. <laughs> no, not at all. They should hand them to you as you walk off the plane, actually. Yeah, if I'm going to have to put up with Newark, I might as well get some good food along the way. <laughs> Um, but something else that I found interesting is I transited uh, twice in Germany, and I got to see both the Munich airport and the Frankfurt airport. That's not bad. And, you know, what surprises me is that IAD, Dulles Airport, and Denver Airport, DEN, are both United hubs, yet you are only in IAD three times, you're only in Denver twice. Yeah. And one time in Denver was a mistake. That's when the flight got changed around coming back. I believe from South Africa, I was supposed to transit in Frankfurt and ended up changing flights and went through Denver. And then Washington, they were transits getting to Tampa, which actually makes sense. Depending on the time of day, Washington, Dulles is a good transfer airport to get to Tampa because there are very few flights from Los Angeles to Tampa. And then you had one very pleasant but quite surprised transit in Japan. Yeah, I did. That was the unscheduled transit in Narita. 
the flight got canceled from Singapore to San Francisco and United booked me on an ANA flight through Narita. And it actually worked out better in that I had a super comfortable seat in regular economy. The ANA flight attendants took spectacular care of me. I got to check out the beer pouring machine at Narita Airport and I actually landed in Los Angeles before I was supposed to had I been on the United flight through San Francisco. So all in all, that inconvenience turned out great. Now, what was the longest time you spent on an airplane? What were the longest flights? Well, the longest time I spent on an airplane is kind of hard to calculate because there were many flights that I was on the airplane that were delayed. So there's the book time, but then time that I actually spent on the plane. I think the longest time might have been the flight back from Israel because we had uh, Although I guess I wasn't on the plane. Yeah, I was also, I, I'm sorry, we were grounded as well. So it was a delayed boarding. And then we were on the plane. Um, but as far as flight time goes, Singapore flight was 16 hours and 55 minutes. Well, you know, this is why when you talk about time on the plane, when you think about it, this is why United and all the airline mileage programs reward you with miles and not travel hours, because then they'd really be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. But I did have some other long flights as well. And the, the next longest booked time or blocked time was to Johannesburg. And that was 16 hours and 15 minutes. And then Cape Town was shortly behind that at 15 hours and 55 minutes. Yeah. And Israel wasn't really that short a period of time either when it comes right down to it. That was 14 hours and 10 minutes, which, yeah, is starting to be a little bit short. But when you said, nah, flying back from Japan to LA, nah, it's, it's just not, you know, it's not long enough flight. I'm not going to go to sleep. It's only eight hours. Only eight hours? Yeah. Only eight hours. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. When you start doing these 15, 16 hour flights, yeah, eight, 10 hour flights seem really short. <laughs> but you did have some adventures while you were traveling because not only were you in two earthquakes, apparently one of your airplanes was struck by lightning. Yeah. When I was in Israel, the inbound aircraft uh, landing in Tel Aviv got hit by lightning and that accounted for the three-hour delay. That was definitely a first for me. So you talked really highly about the lounge in Narita. Was that your favorite airport? Probably not. The lounge was really nice, but as far as the airport goes, I think I'm going to give that one to Singapore. Changi Airport, the country of Singapore, has just done a, an incredible job with that airport. And it's really a destination. I've talked to a lot of locals there, not only Listener Map, but other locals that say they will go there simply as a destination. Now, how many airports in America are people willing to voluntarily go to and hang out at an airport? I think the answer is probably very few. But Singapore, that's what they do. There's only one that I know of, and at least they're trying to do it. Pittsburgh, as you will recall, used to be a hub for U.S. Air, and it became a mm -hmm. huge mall. And then U.S. Air closed down, pulled out of there as a hub, and it's this huge airport with nothing going on. And so they basically opened it up so that you can go shopping there. You don't need to be a passenger to get in through Pittsburgh. At least they did a few years ago. I don't know how successful it was, but they were trying to become a destination airport. Don't know what happened, but Singapore is known worldwide as being one of the very, very best and most popular airports in the world. Yeah, it really is. So that's a reputation that's well-earned. I think unlike flying on Singapore Airways, I honestly think they are overrated. I don't think they're nearly as nice as the reputation leads customers to believe. At least not anymore. I don't know what Correct. it was like back in yeah. the 70s and the 80s. We've talked about Newark as being terrible, but you wouldn't consider Newark the worst airport you flew through. 
Uh, there's, I guess, different levels of worse. Having amenities available is, I think, an important part of an airport. Both the airports at Lahui and Maui just are limited over their services that they have. And not having a club makes a big difference to me as well. Really, as much as I enjoyed the the country of Tahiti, all the experience there, their airport, gosh, is that simply a place to fly in and out of? And you do not want to spend any time at all at the Tahiti airport. As far as worst airports, just not that there's anything terrible about them. There just aren't many services there. So that's why I'd put them at the bottom of the list. So those are the airports. Now, you stayed in a lot of hotels. You have a favorite there? My favorite hotel that I didn't actually stay at, but I used a lot of their services, was the Intercontinental in Tahiti. I'll admit it, I made a mistake. I paid to stay at the Hilton, but I should have stayed at the Intercontinental. It's such a better property. The pools that they had there, the dining, the although it was incredibly expensive, the outdoor bars that they had, it was just a beautiful property that I absolutely will go back to. It sounded great. You really, it, it just sounded like a beautiful place. Was there another that you liked? Yeah, the Royal Livingston in Zambia. Being that the hotel's inside a national park and they have animals like the giraffe and zebra and baboons and impala that will walk up to your hotel room door and they just graze around the property that was truly amazing. Not only to see the animals, but the, the rooms themselves, the staff that is there. This is definitely a five-star property. If anyone's going to Victoria Falls, yes, it's going to be expensive, but your experience at the Royal Livingston is outstanding. And it's also walking distance to the falls, so you don't have to worry about transportation getting to the falls and back. Well, any hotel, when you walk into the lobby and you have a whole choir singing to you and welcoming you, <laughs> that's got to be something special. And I thought that would be your absolute number one. But it sounds like the Intercontinental in Tahiti is something very special, too. It is, but I didn't stay there. So if hotels that I've stayed at, the Royal Livingston is is definitely there. So I could talk about the rooms. The Intercontinental, I never saw the inside of a hotel room. So I have no idea what that's like. So I'm just talking about the the property and the facilities that are there. And certainly one of the things, uh, yes, at the Royal Livingston, having the Marilizia Youth Choir there, being able to record them, meeting them, they were so kind and generous. I'm just really happy that I was able to run across them. Yeah, having them sing to all the guests as they come and go, super, super special. Sounds like it was a terrific place. But what about the other extreme? Did you have any uh, poor service in hotels that you recall that comes to mind right away? <laughs> Oh, probably the worst hotel is the Hilton at LAX. It's just, it just wasn't good. Yeah, it's it's a room. The staff was not great. I guess I've been lucky. Really, all the hotels that I've stayed at on this adventure were really nice, and someone has to be the bottom. So I'm going to give that to Hilton at LAX. This show is probably as much about food as it is about travel. <laughs> Although maybe food is part of travel, so... Any favorite meals in the air? Any favorite meals on the ground? Yeah, in the air, having the Thai noodle dish on United was really good. I was surprised that they had it and the quality was was halfway decent. Uh, I know there's a hamburger or two along the way. I just enjoy having a hamburger in flight. The rest of the meals, as far as I recall, were 
forgettable. There's nothing special. And yeah, it was nice that United's brought back the ice cream sundae, but the quality of ice cream that they're using is is really terrible now. So I wish that they would spend a few dollars more and get better ice cream. On the ground, going to the fat butcher in Stellenbosch, South Africa, that ribeye was just to die for. It was so incredibly good. So that was probably my best meal on the ground. That sounded just absolutely wonderful. It really did. And uh, boy, it it, it had me going and I'm just thinking about it again. (laughs) And now I need to go get some lunch. Yeah. Yeah. So the appetizers, the main course, the dessert, everything at the Fat Butcher was so incredibly good. But you know what I found really fascinating is that your worst meals were totally consistent. (laughs) They absolutely were on the ground and in the air. Besides the pork roll sandwich, everything at Newark, everything catered out of Newark for the air and pretty much, well, okay, they're, like the fluke in the in the club was good one time, not the best the second time. So they're just, I don't know, inconsistent. And I could easily say the food out of Newark, not so great. When you get good food, it's a fluke. <laughs> in Newark. That's for sure. Although what surprises me is that domestically, you say one of the best lounges there is in Newark. Yeah, the Polaris Lounge. They do a really good job. And I was able to experience the Polaris Lounges in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Newark. It's really hard for me to say which I like better. I like them all for different reasons. I like the one in Los Angeles because it's small. It's upstairs where the old first-class lounge was when United had first-class lounges. The one in San Francisco is just massive. The one in Newark is very, very large as well. How it's spread out, the size of it, especially if you're there during non-peak times. It's nice. And I like having the restaurants there, Um, just being able to sit and enjoy a meal and have it delivered to you instead of going through the buffet. It's just a really nice experience. Yeah, I really did enjoy the Polaris lounges when uh, when I was traveling both in Newark and in San Francisco, although I think probably my favorite lounge that I've been to, and I haven't been to a lot of them, is the uh, United Lounge at uh, in, in Heathrow. In Heathrow, that, it, yeah. Yeah, it's not a Polaris <laughs> lounge, but it's a very good lounge, very yeah. comfortable, really big, very roomy, lots of good food, and a great bar. Yeah, but, yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. They do a really good job there. But as far as lounges internationally, I really like the lounge in Singapore the best. I'd probably put that up there. They just, being able to have dim sum for breakfast is, I think, the thing that put me over the edge there. Just the food was good. The service is good. The wait staff having the Singapore smile. Yeah, it's just a nice place to be. It just goes along with everything else about the Singapore airport. Yeah, yep, definitely does. Now, you had some crazy trips. What would you say were the craziest? (laughs) Oh, I sure did. And I'd have to say it was the back-to-back trips that I did. And you talked about this before where, yeah, I did back-to-backs to to Hawaii. And I also did back-to-backs in Singapore as well. And what I mean by a back-to-back is when I fly into a city, wait for them to service the plane, and then fly the same plane back home. And yeah, I did that for both Hawaii and Singapore, and that was crazy. And with all these trips under these 300,000 miles, what would you do differently? Oh, that's a difficult one. I think what I would do is probably stay longer. I did not spend enough time in Israel or Tahiti. Yeah, I definitely should have spent more time in both those countries. 
I should have spent more time in every country, but definitely those two. I'm really, really upset at Matt in Singapore for not introducing me to the G Spa. That would have worked out so well for so many of the trips where I just did an overnight stay. The spa is just the perfect place to do a quick layover. Yeah, Matt, still upset with you over that. Yeah, you really let us down with that one, Matt. I mean, <laughs> there, there's just too many things that could have happened at the G Spa had we known. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's okay. Now you know for the next time. Now, you had some, you know, mediocre flights. You had a couple of bad flights, but what was the best? Oh, the best flight absolutely was my 3 million mile flight returning from Cape Town to Los Angeles. By far, that was the best. And it probably started with Dispatch Greg getting word to the flight deck that I was going to be on board. The pilots were just so kind and generous. As I mentioned on the other podcast, they gave me the flight plan. They all signed it. They were really nice. And the flight attendants really went out of their way to make me feel welcomed and appreciated. And they just did a spectacular job on that flight. Yeah, but they must have known who you were before that, because even before that, you got picked up by United. You made a magazine appearance. <laughs> yes, I was Mr. October in Hemispheres magazine. That was really funny. Yeah, they did a special on frequent travelers and I got interviewed. And yeah, I have my full page spread in the October issue of Hemispheres magazine. Yeah, that was great. I love your Mr. October for the United magazine. That's just super. <laughs> Now, you met a lot of different people while you were traveling. Now, some of them you had known from before or you had emailed before. But when you think about all the travels, who comes to mind? Well, there was certainly Al in Israel. The way he set up everything for me, the quantity of meetings that he got, the interviews that we did, just him taking me through ancient city of Jerusalem, I could not have asked for a nicer host during that trip. So I, I so want to go back. You and I need to go back. He's offered to host us again when we come back. Yeah, we need to make that happen. He was just super special. Everything that we did was was really great. I certainly hope that we can do that together sometime because I'd really like to meet Al. He sounds like a terrific guy. And we've communicated a little bit via email and we've communicated in the APG chat room a few times. And uh, I think it would just be great to be able to get together with him. And, and I'd love to see Israel. And I would most especially like to see it with, with a native, with somebody who knows yeah. and loves the country. Yep. It's definitely the best way to go. Some of the other people that just made my trips special, really the last trip to South Africa when I came across uh, Tatiana and Beatrice doing the wine tasting, that was an awful lot of fun. Having dinner with Vovo and Lita at the restaurant, you know, two South African locals who were just so kind and generous to me. And we had such great conversation. Meeting strangers and or meeting locals. Yeah, definitely a good thing to do. But you know what comes to mind, and I know you're, you're gonna you're gonna mention him. You know, in Singapore, it was a friend and a local that <laughs> you know, an old friend and a local that yes. really took care of you. Now, granted, he didn't tell you about the G Spa up until the last minute, but didn't he had bicycles for you? He had yeah. places to go. I mean, Matt is a good friend, and I mean, he really he seemed to help you out. Yeah, he is. And we have a great time every time we get together. But yeah, we ate too much, drank too much. He insisted um, or ensured that I had a Singapore sling at the long bar at the Raffles Hotel. Yeah, like you said, we biked around the country. 
yeah, he absolutely took special care of me. And it was, it was really nice being able to see him again after many years of not seeing him. So that was good to renew that friendship. And then you had some other friends that you traveled with, didn't you? Well, the listeners. So we had uh, listener Linda and Scott, who we did the trips to Africa. So being able to be a tour guide where I could show them bits of the country. Actually, Scott and I went up to Zambia and Zimbabwe. So that wasn't South Africa, but we we flew through South Africa. Yeah. And Linda, I got to take around Johannesburg and up to Kruger National Park. So being able to spend that time with the listeners was was really good. And then I also need to give a big shout out to the United Flight Attendants. Being able to see flight attendants on several flights, having them remember me was a lot of fun. And just the flight attendants that I met for the first time, I can honestly say in all these flights, there were probably two that weren't having their best day, but everyone else was really kind and nice. And I just appreciate all this, all the great service that I got from the United Flight Attendants. Now, Matt, you're old friends with, and I'm sure you'll be in touch with on and off. Anyone else, you know, with the group that you think, oh, IAL, if we go back to Israel, anybody else you've been in touch with since? Yeah, unfortunately, no. And that's probably the big regret that I have is that I didn't meet any new long-term friends or people besides who you've mentioned. Yeah, that's sort of the downside of this trip. Uh, I, I hope that I will come across some of the flight attendants again. So that'll be really nice to see them. But as far as getting contact information and being in contact with, no, I kind of messed up on that. Okay. So I'm sure this is something that a lot of listeners are kind of interested in, maybe afraid to ask, but we're going to talk about it. We should probably go over it and let people <laughs> know this ended up costing quite a bit. Let's talk about some of those numbers in general. Well, well, actually, let's talk about them specifically. What was your most expensive trip? Yeah, the most expensive ticket was a vacation that I took with my friends, Gray and Janice. We went to South Africa and Zambia because I wanted to travel with them and they were flying a business class. I bought a business class ticket and that ticket cost $4,479.77. Now, wow. there. Yeah, so that and that included all the tax and fees and everything. So part of the amazing part to me is how much or how little money United actually gets out of this. So I have that breakdown as well. Of the $4,400 ticket, United got $3,400 of that. So $1,000 goes to taxes and fees that United never sees. That's crazy. That's really amazing. The amount of money that counts towards your frequent flyer status is the $3,400 number, not the total ticket price. So you don't get credit for taxes and fees. That is annoying. Yeah, well, <laughs> That's really annoying. But from the airline perspective, they're only getting that money. Therefore, they should only give you that much credit. Yeah, but it just amazes me that 25% of your ticket is going to taxes and fees. 25% of it. At least on that ticket, yeah. But what's interesting is that you can also, you know, this was in May, where you also flew to South Africa in February, and you also flew it in business class. What did that <laughs> February ticket cost you? Yeah, that one was fun, where that was $2,837 for that business class ticket. That was one of the very first trips that I took really to kick off this project. Yeah, I saw that as a deal and I just could not pass it up. And that's sort of a tip for our listeners. 
don't exclude looking at premium economy and business class fares because sometimes they're not that much more. And I know I've done first class tickets in the US where it's only been $50 more to fly in first class. And I will gladly pay $50 to do a transcontinental flight for $50 more. Absolutely. But this is what amazes me. Same ticket, same place, same airplanes, possibly. You know, you don't have the tail numbers, right. but it could be double the price depending on the time. So always look at your dates and check out your flight prices based on the dates and figure out where the best deal is and decide if you can go then and then why you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a perfect example where there's really almost a $2,000 swing in the price of a business class ticket. Now, you also found a very inexpensive ticket to Honolulu. <laughs> Who would believe it? This was, this was the least expensive ticket you purchased for the whole trip. Yeah, and this was the quick turnaround trip that I did, and it was $251 to fly to Honolulu. LA to Honolulu, $251 round trip. Yeah. That's just, that's a unbelievably inexpensive fare. That's really, really good. Yeah. And of that, I'm not going to do the math in my head percentage-wise, but United got $207 out of that $251. Yeah. It's domestic. So it's going to be a little, a few less taxes and fees. Yeah. So what was the total cost of the whole thing? This is the one that hurts a little bit. But there's justification behind it. When I started off, I really was planning, I was budgeting to do the entire thing for around $20,000 in airfare. Fortunately or unfortunately, quickly on in the program, I changed my mind. And instead of buying just the least expensive economy ticket, I ended up buying a lot of premium economy tickets. And therefore that raised my total expenditure for the program. So totaling all 103 flight segments, it totaled $31,863. So I spent $11,000 more than what I was initially budgeting to spend. True, but you got you flew quite a bit in either premium economy or in business class. Do you have the number of flights by any chance that you flew in upgraded service? No, that I don't have. I would be curious yeah. because if it's only $10,000 more, that's actually a bargain. If most of them were in business and... Well, I okay, so I paid for two business class tickets. I flew in business class many more times than $10,000 in value. Right. Okay. I also purchased some economy tickets where I was upgraded to premium economy as well. Again, I'd say that value is probably close to $10,000, but absolutely buying the ticket and getting upgraded to business, the quantity of times I flew in business class, absolutely that value was justifiable for the $11,000. Now, let me ask you this, because this is what people ask me most of the time. On the $30,000 that you spent to put this all together and get your 300,000 miles and your lifetime 1K status, what are, do you get from this? What is United giving you? What does the lifetime 1K status mean? The benefit that I get that I value the most is the plus points. So on an annual basis, I will get a certain number of plus points until United changes the program again, that I could use for these upgrades. So I could buy an economy ticket, a premium economy ticket, and get upgraded to business class. That's the benefit that I value the most. 
Are these guaranteed upgrades or are these based on space upgrades? They're based upon space. There are certain flights where you can pay even more plus points and have it guaranteed at time of booking. It really depends on how full the aircraft is. I'd say I've had, and again, I can run the numbers on this. I think I've had a better than 50% success rate in getting the tickets upgraded. You've done pretty well overall, I've got to say. There were sometimes you were close, but upgrades are getting harder and harder to find. So it, it's difficult. It really depends on where you're going. And I've also been upgraded actually when I sat in my economy or premium plus seat. And then they've come on board and said, ah, oh, Mr. Coleman, you have a new seat. And then they've moved me that way. It really depends. Business travel still has not recovered. However, there are an awful lot of people that are traveling leisure that are willing to spend the money to buy either the premium economy seats or business class seats. I think the airline industry is still sorting things out. It will get better. It will get easier over time. What other benefits do you get with lifetime 1K status? There are a lot. For example, on international flights, I get three bags that I could check for free and they could weigh up to 70 pounds each, whereas normally it's two bags at 50 pounds. That's a lot of vodka. <laughs> it sure is. Or wine from South Africa. Yeah. There's party boarding. For domestic flights, if I'm sitting in economy, I get a free meal and a free drink. Some of the benefits that I'll receive is an increase in mileage when I just buy a ticket. As a Platinum member, I would get a 9x multiplier. Being a 1K, I'll get an 11x multiplier. I get to board before almost everyone else. So they do military global services, which is the highest level in the United program. Parents with children or people with disabilities will board before me, and then I get to board. So that's kind of nice. I get the annual membership in the CLEAR program. So like TSA Pre, you kind of get to skip the line, don't have to take your shoes off and all that. Not only is CLEAR available in airports, but it's available in other sporting venues. And that's $189 value. So I'll get that for free as long as they continue to offer that. I have a higher priority for clearing it's three days in advance for Premier Platinum. It's four days or 96 hours in advance for 1Ks. And then another thing, I don't take advantage of this very often, but I have. There are absolutely no change fees for me on any type of ticket. If it's a paid ticket or a mileage plus ticket, I can get my money back. I can get the miles put back without any sort of a fee at all. Wow, I'm going to have you buy my tickets from now on. <laughs> there are a bunch of other benefits that go along as well, but I just don't put value in those benefits. But there is one clear benefit that does work for others, and that is that you are able to annually award the same service and the same status to one other person so that you can travel with your companion with the same status. Well, no, it's actually better than that in that I don't have to travel with them. They just have the status for a year. For example, I can nominate you and every flight you go on with United, you would fly as a 1K. 
Wow, that's incredible. That really that, that's a fabulous feature to have. It is. You do not get the plus points, unfortunately, but you get all of the other benefits. So again, if you were checking luggage, you would have the three bags at 70 pounds. You would have priority boarding. You would have all the other benefits I talked about. You know, and one of the advantages to that is that if I were a black sheep, you know, and I needed to travel, I could have three bags full. <laughs> yes, you could. I also have complimentary access to Economy Plus. So as long as there's a seat available in the Economy Plus section, I could book that instead of having to book at the very rear of the aircraft. I could also get up to eight people in Economy Plus seating as well. So they do not have to have status. As long as they're traveling with me, they could get a seat in Economy Plus. Wow, that's a handy thing too. And again, something that I don't take advantage of just because I don't buy these tickets, but if I were to buy a ticket in YB or M fare class, they would automatically be upgraded to the next class of service. YB and M, I'm assuming, are, are the, the higher price tickets for that particular route. Absolutely. But if there was a last minute ticket purchase that I had to make and it was in one of those three fare classes... If there's a seat in first class, I would automatically get that seat. Again, something that I just don't buy last minute tickets, but I could. There's also a thing on sold out flights. If I wanted to buy a ticket on a sold out flight, I'd still have to purchase a wire or be fair class, but they would bump someone else for me. I've never done that, but I could. If I didn't have my lifetime membership in the United Club, I would get a $100 discount. Wow, that's really fabulous. So here's the next question, yeah. okay? We're done. You've got lifetime Premier 1K status. So what's the next step? Are we going to go for this on American or are we going to go for 4 million miles and go for United Global Services? I think neither. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see, but I'm... I'm pretty happy with where things are. And I think being able to enjoy these benefits, being able to fly on another airline and not have to worry about supporting United uh, or being a slave to United. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But that's sort of where my thinking is right now. I'll enjoy the benefits. Don't get me wrong. I will continue to fly on United, especially as long as they keep Los Angeles as a hub or as long as I live in Los Angeles. It's just convenient for me to have United be my first choice of an airline. But yeah, we'll see what the future brings. Well, it just means if you ever move from Los Angeles, you can only move to San Francisco or Denver or Chicago or, or Washington, D.C. You got to pick it based on where the hubs are. Yeah, Newark, that could work. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely a few choices. So I think that brings us pretty close to the closing the book on episode 40. It is. And yeah, we're still going to do additional shows. So people that want to continue to listen can do that. I promise next week to do my homework and come up with a list of countries where we have listeners, where I've been and where I haven't been, where I need to get to come back and listen to episode 41. And if you have any questions for us, how can, how can listeners get in touch with us? The best place to get a hold of us is send an email to Brian at the journey is the reward. We absolutely would love to hear from our international listeners and our domestic listeners as well. We love them all. There are times for an international beer. There are times for a domestic beer. We love them both depending on the situation. Absolutely. Micah, how's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, I'm still on Twitter, although I never had a blue check, so I still don't have one. But on Twitter, you can find me. I'm at 
Maine fly. Maine like the state of Maine, because I'm your Maine man, and fly like let's go flying. And if listeners want to interact with us on Twitter, Listener Lou manages that, and the Twitter ID is TJIT Reward, as in the journey is the reward. On Instagram, we're Brian Global Traveler, and on Facebook, it's Brian, the journey is the reward. So you're a little over a million, three million miles now. What's the number? I am. Did the trip to Tampa to see mom. So I was at 3,004,145 miles. Tampa brought me up to 3,008,671 miles, which means I only have 991,329 miles to go for 4 million. <laughs> I think that's where we got to head. There's no doubt about it. I think global priorities, yeah, that's what you, that's what you. <laughs> yep, that is my name written all over it. And and I'm getting there very, very slowly because my next trip is going to be to Denver. Okay, that's pretty good. The Mile High City. <laughs> yeah, too bad I didn't get a million miles for traveling to Denver. So from Portland, Maine, this is your main man, Micah. And this is your global traveler, Brian. Fly safely. Hey, Micah, do we have a song for this episode? Well, of course we do. There aren't a lot of songs about Singapore, but you were in South Africa six times. So we need to do another South African song. People may know. People your our age will certainly know. Others may. This is Mimi Makiba and Pata Pata. Pata Pata is the name of a dance we do down Johannesburg Way. And everybody starts to move. today let's let's do a show how about, how about episode 40 how about episode 40 can you believe it Jeez. yeah i know any questions or anything we should go over beforehand no i think we got it other than i think that you should come out and interview david nealon with me he's coming to the oh yeah i know he's, i'd he's love to, to do the that portland press to the portland jet port and the 17th i'm not getting a free a free review flight but uh yeah. i think we would we would be able to interview david nealon with a lot of good questions we we're a good team Yes. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, they stopped the LA New York flight as well. So, and that would be one of my questions. And I'm sure he's going to say, well, we're a vacation airline and people just don't vacation between those two cities and it's not good aircraft utilization. Can you hear me? I can hear you. And here and, we are. And is it from this microphone? No. Yeah. I didn't think so. Because when I go to preferences and I go to audio, 
Yeah. Nope. So the the USB microphone selected. Nope. You're on your you're on your headphone mic. Yeah. And you did that in Zoom, or you did that on your on your computer? No, the computer says that it's okay. Now it should be. Nope. No. So weird. See, because in sound settings on the computer, it has the USB advanced audio device and the meters moving. On Zoom, it has the USB advanced audio device, but it's not moving. Well, it is now, but it might be picking up this microphone. Yeah, that's what it's picking up. Hmm. Scratch scratch that one. Nope. There we go. Yeah, so weird. Oh, well. Bizarre. It just took a while to switch over, I guess. Of the international destinations, it was an equal um, an equal quantity. Yeah. Now, how to say that? Um, I, I'll do. I'll try it again. So, got to see the island of Oahu, Maui, and oh shoot, where's I should probably do it by cities. And I got to go to Hawaii four times, and I've been to Honolulu, and especially our international listeners. But we listen to the domestic ones as well, and they can send. Boy, did I screw that up. Which means I only have 99... Wait, how do you say that? 991,000. Yeah, there you go. Jeez.